They say the best things in life are free. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus states, freely you've received, freely give. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. We are a not-for-profit adult religious re-education ministry, helping folks rediscover and understand the teachings of the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you'd like to help us do what we do, I'll tell you how you can become a supporter of Renewed Heart Ministries after this. But for now, it's our hope that as you listen, your heart will be renewed, and inspired to embody the beautiful values and teachings of the Jesus story. Till the only world that remains is a world where love reigns. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I'm going to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. Our feature text this week is Sang's Gospel Q 6, verse 31, and the way you want people to treat you, that is how you treat them. Our title this week is The Golden Rule, and as always, we're going to begin by looking at our comparison text. The first one is Luke 6, 31, do to others as you would have them do to you, and Matthew 7, 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Also, Gospel of Thomas, chapter 6, verse 3, and do not do what you hate. This week, our our focus in Sayings Gospel Q is almost universally referred to as the Golden Rule. And the Golden Rule has a broad and a lengthy history, beginning to our best understanding in 5th century BCE China. Karen Armstrong writes in her book, The Great Transformation, The Beginnings of Our Religious Traditions, she writes that Confucius was the first to promulgate the golden rule. For Confucius, the rule had transcendental value. Um, Armstrong explains that Confucius saw the, the ego principle as the source of human pettiness and cruelty. And she goes on to say, if this is uh, page 248, if people would uh, could lose their selfishness and submit to the altruistic demands of the Lee, which was the the courtly rite similar to uh, medieval European etiquette and courtesy. Um, If they could uh, uh, submit to the altruistic demands of the Lee at every moment of their lives, they would be transformed by the beauty of holiness. They would conform to the archetypal uh, ideal of the Junzi, which is the superior human being. That that was Confucius' teachings. And unlike uh, isolated monks who who seek uh, virtue by separating from all of society, including family, Confucius also saw uh, family differently. uh, She states, this is Armstrong's book as well, page 207, instead of seeing family as an impediment to enlightenment, like the renouncers of India, Confucius saw it as the theater of the religious quest uh, because it taught every family member to live for others. This altruism was essential to the self-cultivation of a junzi. In order to establish oneself, one should try to establish others, Confucius explained. If in order to enlarge oneself, one should try to enlarge 
others, Confucius saw each person as the center of a constantly growing series of concentric circles to which he or she must relate. The lessons he learned by caring for his parents, spouse, and siblings made his heart larger so that he felt empathy with more and more people, first with his immediate community, then with the state in which he lived, and finally with the entire world. Now, as we as we branch out from, from Confucius, uh, Mosey in the 4th century BCE extended the golden rule in China. He taught it as well and built upon it. And then we have in Greece, we see the uh, Isocrates promoting the, the golden rule in the 3rd century BCE. And then it appears in, in India and in Persia as well. But these centuries are what um, uh, Carl Jaspers and, and Karen Armstrong describe as the axial age. And this was the beginning of an awakening among several human cultures where where most of them, except for Greece, moved away from violence and, and tribalism that had, had characterized them before. And this somewhat simultaneous transition among these cultures I find really fascinating. Now, due to the diaspora and, and the continual upheaval within Judea during this time, which, according to, again, Armstrong's theory, was not in the least bit conducive to the quietness that, that often yields spiritual awakening. Although some would argue that uh, spiritual awakenings don't come out of those moments of quietness, Um, the golden rule doesn't appear clearly in Judaism until late 1st century BCE. And the first clear record that we have of it in Judaism is the teaching of the Pharisee Rabbi Hillel, and that's in 1st century BCE. Last week, we, we told the story of Hillel summarizing the Torah with the line, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to your fellow man. That is the whole of the Torah, and the remainder is but commentary. Go and learn it. And I'll give you a, a link to that or a reference for that in the e-site this week. But for Hillel, the Torah was best expressed not in the legal letter, but in the law spirit, the golden rule. And for first century Jewish Christians, to include the golden rule among their record of Jesus's teachings, this indicates that, that this early original Jesus community believed that Jesus' teachings represented, like Hillel, a more compassionate, inclusive interpretation of the Torah. And, and let's look a little, uh, briefly a little bit of history around Hillel and that early uh, uh, community. Hillel, in the latter, latter years of his life, he served as president of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Um, uh, there was a time period when, when the Sanhedrin was, uh, the head of the Sanhedrin would have been the high priest. Uh, but about 2nd century BCE in Judaism, they began electing presidents instead. And the Sanhedrin handled both the, the legislative and the, the judicial functions of Jewish government. When Hillel died, uh, Shammai, who was then the vice president, became president, and he passed 18 ordinances that reflected his own ideas more than Hillel's. And, and, and this is the context in which we uh, read the, the Jesus story is taking place. The Talmud's re- redactors describe this act as as grievous as as grievous to Israel as the day when the calf was made by Aaron at the at the base of Mount Sinai and Shammai's ordinances uh, were are believed to have been intended to build up uh, Jewish identity and it, it, but it included they included harsh uh, divisive antisocial this separation between Jews and Gentiles and as such a folk story developed that mimicked the story of Hillel summarizing the law 
law for a, a would-be convert, when someone pr- uh, promised to convert to Judaism, if Shammai could teach him the entire Torah while standing on one foot, instead of promulgating the, the golden rule, Shammai rebuked him and sent him away, believing that this was to be impossible. Um, Hillel's grandson, which is Gamaliel, uh, is believed to have become president of the Sanhedrin after uh, Shammai in about 30 uh, CE. Um, but, but those who subscribed to Shammai's interpretation of the, th- of the Torah, uh, they remained the, the dominant Sanhedrin party until about 70 CE. And today, and this is important, rabbinical Judaism follows Hillel's interpretations of the Torah, the more compassionate, more inclusive uh, interpretation of Torah, uh, believing that a voice from heaven made the rulings of the house of Shammai null and void. Now, it's in this context, again, of, of conflict between this compassionate school of Hillel and the strict school of Shammai that Jesus's teachings were given. And, and by including the golden rule in the, in the teachings of Jesus, the early Jewish community that, that is believed to have been the source of Sang's Gospel Q, they placed Jesus alongside of Hillel's more inclusive, more compassionate interpretation of the Torah in contrast to the school of Shammai. And, and there are only two exceptions, really, and that's the prosible, which we talked about last week, and, and divorce. Um, again, we talked about last week how Jesus parted ways with Hillel and economics and the prosible, and, the, that, and how that carved out exceptions for Linda against the interests of the poor, but he parted ways with Hillel on the subject of divorce as well. And the school of Hillel believed that a man could send his wife away for almost any displeasure. Some people use the example of burning dinner. Um, but, but the school of Hillel believed that a, a man could send his wife away for, again, almost any reason. Uh, Jesus' teachings on divorce in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke are actually more in harmony with the more stringent school of, of Shammai, who taught that one could only send one wife away for in, infidelity. And, and this is, the, it gets even worse in, in, in Mark's gospel, more stringent in Mark's gospel, where Jesus's teachings on divorce are even, even more stringent than Shammai's, and it gives no justification for divorce. Divorce is just never acceptable. Um, but I would argue that whereas Shammai's teachings on divorce was more stringent, Jesus's teachings were, were I believe, more centered in concerns for social justice for subjugated women women in a patriarchal society. They, they increased justice in that society, as did uh, the Deuteronomy instruction about remarriage in its era. And you can see that in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Why are we taking a, a look at all that this, this week? Uh, what I want you to notice is the political effect of Jesus's mixed alignment with these schools of his time. The members of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees who, who subscribed to the school of Shammai would have seen Jesus as a glutton and a drunkard who violated the standards that they believe would strengthen their culture. Now, there would have also been members of the Sanhedrin and, and Pharisees um, who belonged to the school, who subscribed to the school of Hillel, who would have loved much of what Jesus taught. Yet, yet because because of his teachings on the prosible and on divorce, they would have simply been kind of on the fence about him. They would not have been f- able to, 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 to fully embrace
embrace the teachings of Jesus. They would have been able to embrace Jesus on some matters, a lot of matters, um, but not everything. So with the school of Shammai in the influential majority during Jesus's teachings, this would have been a very dangerous political position for Jesus. Any allies that he would have had on the Sanhedrin would have been in the minority. And, and I believe that the Gospels tell a historically incomplete picture of the Pharisees. Certainly, uh, Jesus would have run into the problems with the Pharisees of the school of Shammai. Um, and that part, I think, is absolutely true. But I think it's important to note that Matthew uses the phrase, some Pharisees, not all of the Pharisees in Matthew 19.1. And this is a subtle but important difference. The school of Hillel actually eventually won out over the school of, of Shammai within rabbinic Judaism. So even though they were in a minority during the time of Jesus, um, the, the, the Pharisees would have ended up uh, uh, in a very different light historically than, than what we typically uh, assume just reading the Gospels. So, so after uh, AD 70, uh, especially, Armstrong, in the, in the same book that we recommended earlier, or we noticed, or we uh, referenced earlier, she writes, uh, the most progressive Jews in Palestine were the Pharisees, of, and, and these are the ones of the school of Hillel, who developed some of the most inclusive and advanced spiritualities of the Jewish axial age. They believed that the whole of Israel was called to be a a holy nation of priests, and that God could be experienced in the humblest home as well as in the temple. Uh, he, and this is her, I'm quoting her, he, he was present in the smallest details of daily life, and Jews could uh, approach him with, without elaborate ritual. They could atone for their sins by acts of loving kindness rather than animal sacrifice. Charity was the most important commandment of the law. And typically, once again, we don't get this picture of the Pharisees from just reading the Gospels. And again, that's, I think, uh, because the Gospels are, 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 are uh, reflecting a time where these uh, a more stringent, the school of Shammai was, was, had some dominance there in the culture. But um, Armstrong goes on, the Pharisees, uh, and this is of the school of Hillel, they wanted no part in the violence that was erupting destructively around them. At the time of the rebellion against Rome, and that's 65 to 70 CE, the leader was Rabbi Ben-Zakai, uh, Hillel's greatest student, and he realized that the Jews could not possibly defeat the Roman Empire and argued against the war because the preservation of religion was more important than national independence. When his advice was rejected... He had himself smuggled out of Jerusalem, hidden in a coffin, in order to get past the Jewish zealots who were guarding the city gates. Then he made his way to the Roman camp and asked Vespian for, for uh, permission to live with his scholars in Jane on the coast of southern Palestine. After the destruction of the temple, Jane became the new capital of Jewish religion. In rabbinic Judaism, the Jewish axial age had begun. The golden rule, compassion, love, Loving kindness were central to this new Judaism. By the time the temple had been destroyed, some of the Pharisees already understood they did, they did not need the temple to worship God, as the Talmudic story makes clear. And then she quotes this story. It happened that uh, Rabbi Zaki went out from Jerusalem, and Rabbi Joshua followed him and saw the burnt ruins of the temple. And he said, Woe is it that the place where the sins of Israel find atonement is laid waste. 
priest. Then said Rabbi Zaki, Grieve not, for we have an atonement equal to the temple, the doing of loving deeds, as it is said, I desire love, not sacrifice. That was a teaching among the Pharisees um, during this time. That That's powerful to me. Um, uh, again, Karen goes on to, uh, to, to, to write, Kindness was the key to the future. Jews must turn away from the violence and divisiveness of the war years and, and create a united community with one body and one soul. When the community was integrated in love and mutual respect, God was with them. But when they quarreled with one another, God returned to heaven where the angels chanted with one voice and one melody. When two or three Jews sat and studied harmoniously together, the divine presence sat in their midst. Rabbi Akiba, who was killed by the Romans in 132 CE, taught that the commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, was the great principle of the Torah. And that, that, that sounds a lot like what we read in the, in, the, in the Gospels. To show disrespect, and she didn't say that, I said the, the Gospel part, and we'll continue on with her. To show disrespect to any human being who had been created in God's image was seen by the rabbis as a denial of God himself and tantamount to atheism. Murder was sacrilege. Scripture instructs us that whatsoever sheds human blood is regarded as if he had diminished the divine image. God had created only one man at the beginning of time to teach us that destroying only one human life was equivalent to annihilating the entire world, while to save a life redeemed the whole of humanity. To humiliate anybody, even a slave or a non-Jew, was equivalent to murder, a sacrilegious defacing of God's image. To spread a scandalous, lying story about another person was to deny the existence of God. Religion was inseparable from the practice of habitual respect to all other human beings. You could not worship God unless you practiced the golden rule and honored your fellow humans, whoever they were. That's what the Pharisees ended up teaching before it was all said and done. Again, that, that's the great transformation, the beginnings of our religious traditions. Um, again, the Jesus story is written in a time, or it's, it, it's, it's reflecting a time period where you have these two schools in conflict, but the school of Shammai did, did not uh, uh, win out. Um, so what does this mean for us this week? What, what, what does all this mean for, for Jesus and things gospel cue? Well, number one, I think it means several things. So number one, it means that, that the early Jesus, uh, Jewish followers, Followers of Jesus. They perceived Jesus and his teachings to be part of this compassionate stream of thought represented by Hillel, that stream eventually, that eventually won out in, in, in rabbinic Judaism. Number two, Jesus's execution was more politico-economic than it was religious. It was not Jesus's teachings on nonviolence or inclusivity or the golden rule that got him crucified. The school of Hillel uh, was already teaching these values and Jesus came alongside of that stream and taught them as well. What created the greatest difficulty for Jesus was his solidarity with the poor and his critique of the wealthy elite and their exploitative economic system that, that centered in the temple and its aristocracy. And in our time, remember, it wasn't Dr. Martin Luther King's teachings on racial integration and inclusion that inspired his assassination. King was assassinated when he began threatening the military and the economic system 
Judaism of America. And then number three, the anti-Semitism uh, created by Christianity and that produced uh, the Holocaust is based on a deeply flawed interpretation of the history of Jesus and the Jewish people. Jesus was, remember, not a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. And to a large degree, he was a Jew who subscribed in most things to the school of the greatest Jewish rabbi of all time, Rabbi Hillel. And number four, there is much about rabbinic Judaism that flows from uh, Hillel's teachings and is in perfect harmony with the ethical teachings of Jesus in Sang's Gospel Q. And in this harmony, I think provides much common ground for a healthy and positive interfaith discussion that needs to continue between Christians and our Jewish brothers and sisters. To believe that Jesus taught the golden rule is to harmonize us with the transition away from violence, tribalism, and oppression towards uh, peace and justice and inclusivity and egalitarianism within all the major faith traditions. There are exceptions, but Christianity is still moving towards this transition. And just as Hillel influenced uh, rabbinic Judaism, it's my prayer that, that, that the Jesus revealed in Sings Gospel Q can also influence modern Christianity. Whether we attribute the golden rule to Confucius, to Hillel, uh, or to the sayings of Jesus, it's a better way than the eye-for-an-eye eye principle of treating people the way they've treated you. With the golden rule, we have the power not only to, to be the change we want to see, as Gandhi said, but to also set in motion changes uh, in the direction of, of the principle of reciprocity, um, where someone's now going to treat us the way we treated them. We, we, we have the potential to, to, to awaken that, to be more proactive rather than just reactive. And for all those who are striving towards a safer, more compassionate world for us all, in the words of the Jesus in Sang's Gospel Q, the way you want people to treat you, that is how you treat them. Sang's Gospel Q 631. Heart group application this week. This week, I want you to set aside 10 minutes every day for quiet contemplation. I want you to contemplate only one thing for these 10 minutes, and that's the principle of the golden rule. Meditate on the interconnectedness of us all and, and what it looks like to, to live out this principle in your daily life of treating others the way, not the way they treat you, um, not responding in kind, but uh, treating people, taking the initiative and treating people the way you'd like to be treated. And at the end of those 10 minutes each day, um, I want you to write down the key insights that you gained from this experience, from this 10 minutes of just contemplating the golden rule. And then number three, I want you to share what you discovered this week with your heart group for a discussion and action. Thank you once again for, for joining us this week. I'm so glad you did. Until the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. Even our educational seminars that we do in various venues. We are a not-for-profit religious re-education ministry. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to www.renewedheartministries.com and clicking the Donate tab at the top right. Or you can mail your contribution 
donations to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. Make sure you also sign up for our, our free resources. And remember, every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything we receive above and beyond our annual budget, we gladly give away to other charities that are making uh, both systemic and personal differences, significant differences in the lives of the poor. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of RHM, we simply could not do this uh, without you. From all of us here at Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you.